Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us from preschool to teen. This is the show where we help you feel better about the mom you are and share our own parenting tips and personal stories. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone. You are listening to the Mom Hour, and this is Sarah Powers. I am here without Megan today because this is one of the episodes in our Mom Hour Voices series where we bring on authors and guests to interview on parenting topics and things we know you will enjoy listening to. Um, so I am really, really excited for you guys to hear this interview that I did with Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore. She is the author of Growing Friendships, A Kid's Guide to Making and Keeping Friends. Um, it's a book about making and keeping friends and social dynamics. And the book is written for kids ages six to 12. My nine-year-old daughter read it and loved it. And we went, we worked through some of the book together and we're just big fans. So I knew that this topic was really one that a lot of our listeners had requested. We've gotten comments on social media and emails asking for Megan and I to talk about social struggles and social dynamics and playground politics, especially in those elementary school years. And, um, It's, of course, a topic that we're happy to offer our insight on, but every once in a while there is a subject that we just think probably lends itself to an expert's voice, somebody who specializes in child development and psychology and the implication of all these things. Because what we offer is our own experience, but there's so many different dynamics going on with kids and friendships that um, when this came up, I jumped on it. So again, it's Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore. Um, She is a psychologist in private clinical practice in New Jersey. She has several books out that are written for parents. And then this book, Growing friendships is um, geared toward the kids themselves. It's really cute. It has, you know, cartoon drawings and just really stuff that really speaks to kids. So she's also a professor for The Great Courses, their audio video series called Raising Emotionally and Socially Healthy Kids. And she's authored tons of articles and great blog posts, several of which we will link up in the show notes at themomhour.com. So just really lucky to have her here today. And I know you're going to enjoy this interview. So here is Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore. Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. 
These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionics Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionics best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code themomhour 15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor Haya is back on the show today, and I just really love this company. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk most parents don't really want their growing kids eating. That's why Haya, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin, was created. That's right, Megan. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids' diets to provide the full-body nourishment they need. And Haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love, too. So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the Haya vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one. Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, I am here with Dr. Eileen. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me on the show. We are so excited. I'm going to have to rein myself in because I feel like we could make this a two-hour episode. Um, I was sharing with you before that our listeners have really been wanting uh, to address this topic of kids and friendships, kids and social dynamics. And so we just are so lucky to have you. Um, Well, I'm delighted to talk about this topic because it really is so important. There was one study where they interviewed um, kids who were in fifth grade and then again when they were 23. And whether those kids had a reciprocal friendship, meaning somebody that they liked who liked them back, predicted their well-being when they were 23. So we know from research that friendship is incredibly important for kids. If you want a kid to be more engaged in school, help them make friends. If you want them to be less likely to be bullied, help them make friends. If you want them to cope better with stress, help them make friends. And of course, it just adds to the fun (laughs) and makes hard times easier. Yes. And I'm sure we as parents, we can all look back and remember those formative friendships for ourselves. But then it's a little paralyzing. There's a lot of pressure to then want to help your kids do that. So that's what we're going to get into. I thought it might be fun to start um, because we have listeners with kids of all different ages from really tiny ones up through teens. I thought it might be helpful to maybe go over some of the most common social struggles that kids encounter at different ages. When I was reading your articles, I really appreciated how specific you got 
thought with developmental stages, because I think in our the way we consume articles and media nowadays, it can seem like one set of tips should apply to everybody. And of course, we know that a preschooler is very, very different than a fifth grader. So I thought it might be fun actually to use my three kids ages and kind of go through my three kids are four and a half, seven and nine, and maybe what some common social struggles are at each of those ages. Does that sound good to you? Yes, that sounds right. great. So my um, littlest is four and a half. She's in her second year of preschool, and we have a lot of listeners with preschoolers. So what are some things that parents might start to notice or kids might start to run into in these preschool and I would say maybe even kindergarten, four or five-year-old age? Okay. Well, this is what I call the I want it my way stage. <laughs> so kids at this age have a very limited ability to see someone else's perspective. So they assume that other kids think exactly the way, same way they do. Mm-hmm. And they get very upset when a playmate wants to do something different. Um, they definitely like the idea of having friends and they, they have preferences for some peers over others, mm-hmm. but they're not so good at being reliable friends. Oh. So <laughs> you've probably seen this, that it's very common for a three-year-old to say, you're not my friend today. Right. And it's just because they want to play in the sandbox instead of with the blocks. <laughs> right. Oh, that's yes, that's so true. And I would imagine for parents, especially if it's their first child going off to preschool, some of that is alarming to hear when they come home. And a little later, we're going to get into this, how to respond when your child comes home and says, so-and-so didn't want to be my friend. So we'll I'll save right. that. But I, I know that it's just probably it's it tugs at the heartstrings when that's your child saying that. And so preschool is kind of when it starts. That's so good. Um, okay. The so beginning. my Yes, it is. So my middle is a seven-year-old in first grade. What do we know about our seven-year-olds? So this is what I call the by the rules stage. Mm. So at this age, kids are very concerned about fairness, um, and but they think about it in a very rigid way. Mm-hmm. So if they do something nice for the friend, they expect that the friend better do something nice <laughs> right back to them. So, so they're definitely keeping score. Okay. They also, this is, this is kind of a tough age because this is the age when kids begin to be able to realistically compare themselves to their peers. Mm. And we often see a big drop in self-esteem. That's typical. It's, it's very common for seven, seven-year-olds to say, nobody likes me. So they tend to be very critical of other people, but also they judge themselves harshly. And they'll say, like, no one will like me because of my stupid haircut. Right. They also tend to be very jealous. um, And they try to fit in by being exactly the same as everyone else. This is also the age when we see those secret clubs. Mm -hmm. And kids spend a lot of time talking about the rules and who is or isn't included. But the clubs never actually do anything. And they tend to be pretty (laughs) sure. So true. I wonder, is seven also, in, just in my observation as a parent, um, I notice like second grade starts to be when um, boys and girls are starting to segregate out. Is that, does that seem right to you? And I know it, I, I know it can start much earlier, but really where the boy girl mixing of friend groups starts to be less common. Yes, I, I think that that is true. The younger kids are, and the older kids tend to be a little bit more relaxed about that. Right. But remember, they're trying to be exactly the same as everyone else right. from about 7 to 12. Okay. So, yeah, that means hang out with your own sex. Now, yeah. one, one thing that we see, though, is outside of school, it can be easier. Mm. And yeah. if the 
if the neighbor kids are the opposite sex, then they will definitely yes. play with those if, yes. if they have some interests. Um, if your child is some, and of course, we're also talking about sex stereotype behaviors. Sure. And every kid is different. Mm-hmm. Um, a girl who grows up with three older brothers is going to be more comfortable hanging out with boys mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. So if your child is somebody who has a friend who is a, a different sex, then you may want to help them to to stand up for themselves. So yep. if everybody goes, is that your boyfriend? Mm-hmm. You want to prep your kid to say, no, it's my pal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, okay, so my oldest is a fourth grader. She's nine and a half. She's actually a very mature nine and a half. So I'd love to hear about nine and 10 year olds, maybe even nine, 10, 11, sort of the tween age. Okay. So this is what I call the caring and sharing stage. Mm-hmm. And this is where we tend to get friendships that are more like what we as adults think about mm-hmm. in terms of friendship. So at this age, kids confide in each other, they share their thoughts and feelings, they know how to compromise. And They'll do nice things for each other without keeping score the way the younger mm, kids do. So they, they genuinely care about each other. This is also the stage where we can get those joined at the hip best friendships. Mm-hmm. So girls more often than boys will have that best friend that they expect will do everything with them. Mm-hmm. And they feel deep betrayed if the best friend chooses to be with somebody else. Right. Yeah, this is tough stuff. So um, a little later, I think we're going to talk about some middle school uh, age groups. But for now, I'm going to move on. That was actually really fun for me because those are my three kids' ages. (laughs) Um, But I know it will be helpful to our listeners as well. I want to move on and talk about that moment when your child comes home in tears over something that has happened at school. And I think this happens every age from preschool on up. Um, You had a great article, a blog post in Psychology Today in your blog, Growing Friendships There, um, called What to Say When Your Child Says Nobody Likes Me. And I loved this. And we'll link to that in the show notes. But um, it is it is really hard to know what to say. And we are emotionally invested as moms, as parents. So it's, you know, anything but clinical. So the tips are helpful, (laughs) but it's also our gut, right? So what, how can you help us with that? Well, we need to reach first for empathy because a kid who is feeling rejected by peers needs a little extra loving. And um, so you can help them put their feelings into words by saying you seem upset about something or looks like you had a rough day to kind of open the door to have them talk about it. Um, If they don't want to talk about it, you can also just say, do you need a hug? Mm -hmm. Because that's what they want is just that acceptance. When a child is acutely upset, that is not the time to come in with tips. Right. Um, And it's especially not the time to say, see, didn't I tell you if you kept bossing them around? (laughs) And it's so tempting because, of course, we see it and we warn them and then they did it anyway. (laughs) Um, But really, they need the comfort first. Then it's also important, though, not to overreact. Yeah. Because children's feelings and children's relationships change very quickly. Mm -hmm. So one day your son may come home and say that he hates Stuart's guts, Mm -hmm. but he and Stuart may be best friends next week. (laughs) So we don't have to assume that this is a long lasting crisis. Yeah. That's really helpful. I'm not to cut you off. I'm just, I'm thinking about what I typically say. And I, I think I jump often quickly into 
um, wondering what the other perspective might be or, you know, trying to figure it out. I'm a problem solver by nature. I'm an analyst by nature. So um, not necessarily judging the friend who rejected my child or anything, but saying, oh, I wonder what was going on. I wonder what could you know, happen differently. And some of that is good, but sometimes I could probably just say less, I wonder. I wonder if saying less is often an opportunity for kids to say more, do you think? Possibly. And I also think it's a matter of timing and seeing what your child has the bandwidth for. Mm. So we have to connect first before we can um, help them problem solve. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. Um, I had a client once and the kid came home saying something like, um, I hate Stuart's guts. And the parents responded by saying something like, throughout history, dehumanization is what has led to atrocities. Now, this is true. And the parents were lovely, lovely people, you know, very thoughtful, very gentle, but they were completely talking past the kid. And the boy responded by saying, I want to kill Stuart. And now these parents were horrified thinking they're raising this future ex-murderer. But no, the principle here is that when children don't feel heard, they get louder. So what I recommend first is listen, 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 empathize, empathize, empathize. And you'll know when you can shift into the problem solving mode when you see a softening in their face and in their body. Oh, I love that. That is such that's so such great advice. That's I love that. Um, Do you do you see and I'm sure you do in your private practice a variety of ways that kids come home and report this kind of stuff. Because I know in my own family, um, my oldest was always very, um, would report very matter of factly on things going on in the classroom dynamic, but often didn't talk about how she was feeling about it. So she'd say, so-and-so was mean to so-and-so today, or so-and-so got in trouble today, or these girls are this way, um, but very removed, which is interesting. And then my youngest is very sensitive. It's, and it's not just the age difference. I think it's a, it's a personality thing. To her, it's always about her. So I'm curious if, uh-huh. if there's just a wide range of normal about what, what parents will see when their child comes home. It may not always be drama and tears. It may be something else, I'm guessing. Absolutely. And some kids come home and they're just ornery. (laughs) They're, you know, squabbling with the local, the the younger sibling and no, they don't like their snack and whatever it is. And some kids will just seem more quiet than usual. So it's a whole range. Um, I mean, you have a bunch of kids, so, you know, they come out of the womb different. Yes, they do. (laughs) Yes, they do. Um, keeps us humble, uh, right? <laughs> yes, it does. We're neither on the hook nor uh, do we get all the credit because uh, sometimes it's just independent of us. Um, well, so I want to talk more about this and maybe let's imagine a scenario where this is happening routinely instead of once um, where or there's a pattern that has revealed itself at school um, where something is just not working. A friendship is causing a lot of struggle and it's happening over and over again. I know our listeners are parents who want to be supportive. But we're also living in this time where we hear we're supposed to let kids solve problems for themselves and we're not supposed to be helicopters. I mean, we're given really pretty conflicting messages about this. And I know every age group is different. So let's assume we're talking about these elementary school friendships. Um, Do you have tips for parents in your practice on on how to know when to get involved? And by get involved, I mean, you know, starting to maybe have conversations with other adults or who are involved or whatever, how to do that in a way that's respectful of the child and not too soon and too helicoptery, but also, you know, being our kid's partner in this. 
Well, I think you raised a good point, Sarah, about when it's a repeated or ongoing situation, then we might need to get more information. And that more information, a good source is talking to the teacher, because nobody knows child development better than teachers, because they see, you know, a whole bunch of kids at exactly that age every year. And Michael Thompson has this wonderful line about a kid's description of conflict, and it goes, it all started when she kicked me back. And I just (laughs) That's (laughs) so great. And so it shows that your child may not have the full perspective on what's going on. And the teacher can be very, very useful for that. The teacher can also do a lot to have strategic pairings mm-hmm. uh, within the classroom or just keep an eye out on, on situations that, that might be difficult. Um, you can also get information just by observing your child interacting with peers. Mm-hmm. So either on the playground or in a play date, just keep your ears open and, and just see if you can see what your child might be doing that could be contributing to the problem. Or maybe it's that it's just not a good match for this relationship. Children's friendships don't always last. In fact, there was one study that found that among first graders and fourth graders, half of children's friendships didn't last from fall to spring. And among eighth graders, it was three, one quarter of the friendships that didn't last. Interesting. Friendship breakups are very common. And I'm sure you've experienced this when kids are in different classes every year. Yeah, that's really hard. It's hard to maintain those friendships unless they have contact outside of school. Yes. Um, Well, as you were talking, I was just thinking about my fourth grader and wondering, is there a point where you would counsel parents to let's say it was time to ask the teacher you just just a, a fact finding mission. Ask the teacher what they're exactly. observing. Um, would you involve your older child in that and say, "Are you comfortable with me? Shall we go to your teacher together?" I find that's a that's that's tricky. We're trying to, you know, be helpful, and yet we have these growing people who now are old enough to be part of the solution. Do you know, do you know what I'm asking? I think it yes. I think it depends on the kid and the problem. So sometimes you just plain need information and your kid's not going to give you permission for that. (laughs) Okay. So we get to still be the parent in some some cases. Exactly. Exactly. And I think sometimes it's very embarrassing for kids to, um, let's talk with your teacher about what a misfit you are. (laughs) Had a conversation that most kids will leap to have. Right. Right. Um, but I think we as parents have been around longer and seen more people and seen more situations. So we can be very valuable coaches to our kids. Yes. Parents often feel very helpless when children are having friendship problems. And in one sense, we are because we can't make friends for our kids. Right. But there's a lot that we can do to support their friendships from um, creating opportunities to giving specific feedback or um, recommendations or practicing with yeah. role play for the kids about how to get along. Well, that and that's where your book is so amazing. And we're going to talk about it a little bit later. But um, just the fact that it is geared toward kids and kids are the audience that now as parents, we're actually able to hand them a resource um, that's fun and funny or and read it with relatable them. or read it with them. Exactly. So that we're sort of proactively giving them these skills. Um, yeah, that's great. We are going to take a very quick break to talk about one of our show sponsors, and then we will come right back and talk more about this. 
Hey guys, I want to talk to you real quick about Covered Goods, which is the multi-use nursing cover that will change your breastfeeding experience. Or in my case, since I am past the breastfeeding days, the experience of all the new moms in my life. So Covered Goods makes four-in-one nursing covers. They also serve as a car seat cover, a grocery cart liner, um, and a gorgeous infinity scarf. Because when I'm talking about beautiful fabrics, like I would wear one of these even though I am not currently breastfeeding a child. Um, Beautiful prints and fabrics, super soft, breathable. Um, None of this nonsense like back in my day when I was nursing where it was like a tent apparatus for covering up when and if I needed to. So we just think covered goods make such a great gift for new moms. Um, Even if you are not in that phase yourself, pick up a couple and have on hand for new mom gifts, baby shower gifts. Um, And we have got a promo code for you to save 10%. Um, So you had to cover goods.com and use the promo code the mom hour to save 10% and just browse those beautiful fabrics this company was started by a mom who now has four little kids and really just wanted to solve her own struggle of needing a comfortable nursing cover um and it's grown from there and we have loved working with them so again coveredgoods.com promo code the mom hour will save you 10% can't say enough great things just picked one up for my sister who's having her first baby this month um, and Katie our resident new mom who is still breastfeeding um, is just a huge fan so thanks to covered goods and let's get back to my conversation with Dr. Eileen Okay, we are back with Dr. Eileen, and I want to talk about playdates, because I have to admit, I was a little surprised in the articles I read and some of your work about the emphasis and the importance of playdates, especially in school-aged kids. I'm going to totally admit that when I when my kids were babies and toddlers, I needed playdates as something to do as a mom, and I Absolutely. needed this social time for myself. Um, and that's critically important. And that, that was a critically important thing. Um Talk about the importance of playdates even in these school-aged years as kids continue to develop these friendship skills and why, and maybe what kind of playdates work really well. So I think playdates, one-on-one playdates are the single best thing that parents can do to help kids to deepen their friendships. Because, you know, when an activity is great because then they have something com- in common and they're doing something fun. But spending that time one-on-one communicates to the other child, I like you, I want to spend more time with you, and it lets the kids focus on each other. So they're, they're just wonderful. Um, what I recommend is one and a half hours to two hours of an, an activity-based play date. So okay. think about what the kids are going to do mm-hmm. together. Um, kids make friends by doing fun stuff together. And, you know, at the beginning of a play date, there's often that awkward moment where one kid says to the other, what do you want to do? And the other one says, I don't know, what do you want to do? So we can skip that yeah. <laughs> um, by having talking with your child beforehand. So ask when your guests arrive, offer two thing, a choice of two things to do. Do you want to do A or B? Do you want to play with Legos or do you want to go outside? Um, and that way they get to the action. They get to the fun as yeah. quickly as possible. I love that. And I would imagine too that um, earlier we were talking about some of the social dynamics that happen at school with exclusion or jealousy. I would imagine that removing the kind of recess dynamic um, can be really helpful, especially who, with kids who might be sensitive or just overwhelmed in those big group situations. So. Definitely, definitely. And it's just, it simplifies the interactions for everybody if there's just one friend to play with. Now, if you have a bunch of kids 
kids. This is going to maybe be surprising, but I learned it the hard way myself with my four kids. Invite more kids over so everybody's got a buddy. (laughs) This is, yes. And this is, I mean, just being really honest, I have not been great about playdates for my older kids because it changes the dynamic in my home. So you do have to be strategic, but I can really see how that is beneficial for kids. It um, actually makes it's less work to have more kids over. Yes. At least that's what I <laughs> yes. that is I think that's definitely true. And especially in my house, it's the younger one who wants to make sure there's a buddy and not that they are excluded and have to hang out with mom. Um, do you ha- recommend playdates all the way up through, say, middle school, 10, 11, 12, that tween and middle school age range? Or does that change as they get older? I think those one-on-one get-togethers are important for developing intimacy Mm -hmm. at every age. Um, As the kids get older, they have to take a bigger role in setting those up. Sure. So with the with the little ones, we're the ones who make the phone call. Right. But towards the end of elementary school, the kids need to be making the phone call or or sending an email, whatever it is that they they do to connect with their friends. Kids today are very bad at talking on the phone. Have you noticed that? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) They just don't have very much experience about that. But what I tell my clients, the nice thing about calling on the phone is that you can have notes in front of you. So if your child is kind of shy about doing this stuff, you can have the the words written out about, hello, this is Stephen. May I please speak to Jeremy? (laughs) And it just makes it easier, makes them feel more secure. Um, And we get Those are great skills to have anyway, playdates aside, um, just being able to speak on the phone. Yeah. Right. Now, if your child is someone who sometimes has difficulty getting along with friends, you want to stay with an earshot so that you can leap in with a who wants a snack? Yeah, <laughs> or, I was going to ask hey, this. Is what, yeah, what is mom's role when the play date's <laughs> happening in our house? So I'm glad you brought that up. So sort of just stay with an earshot and be ready to distract if there's an issue. Is that a good rule of thumb? That's exactly right. So our role is to um, prep our kid beforehand. One thing that's really important is to help our children understand that it's your job to make sure that your guest has a good time. Because sometimes, especially the younger kids will think, well, it's my house, so it should be my rules. Right, right. <laughs> and I, I had um, one little boy who the friend came over and it, um, he announced, um, you can't play with that stuff. Those are my special ones. Oh. And you can't play with that either. And you can't play with that either. <laughs> Not a good way to win, win over a friend. No. Now, sometimes children do have things that are very precious to them that they just don't want to share. Put those away. So it's not an issue when the friend comes over. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. And I want to say, too, that you have a bunch of great tips for the kids themselves in your book, which we're going to talk about. Um, but I would imagine, too, that the more playdates you do, the better your kid gets. It's like it's like practicing any other skill. So that's even more reason to just make it a part of your life. How about for full-time working families? I know we have, you know, moms who are working full-time and after-school playdates or weekday playdates aren't an option. Um, is- That's fine. This yeah. is not something you have to do every night. Right. Um, so if you could do one or two a month, that would be terrific. Yeah. And do it on the weekend, do it after soccer practice. How, you know, the kids, you're already there, just bring an extra kid home. Yes. Um, yeah, that I like that is coordinating it with what you're doing naturally um, and and the places you're spending time anyway. Yeah, that's a great yeah. tip. This episode is sponsored by Olive in June. And Sarah, I am just so grateful that I have mastered the art of doing my nails at home. 
When I look down at my cute manicure, I feel a little more pulled together, no matter how crazy life is at the moment. Thankfully, Olive and June's Manny system makes it so easy and affordable to make Manny time a regular part of my weekly routine. Well, I know the feeling, Megan, and I think it's so fun that with Olive and June, you get to customize your Manny system with your choice of six polishes, plus their top coat is included. So Katie on our team says that she has lately been layering some of their iridescent colors over their gel-like polishes, and the final result looks super shimmery and pretty. I might have to try that this spring. Yeah, and Olive and June press-ons are another cool option. They look so real, and I think it would be a great way to test out another nail shape. A long almond shape is popular right now, and I'm kind of curious what that would look like on me. Okay, well, keep me posted on that one. Listeners, visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first Manny system. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, I was going to move on. We had a bunch of listeners ask questions on our Instagram page, and both you and I really just appreciated the specific questions and the ideas brought up. So we're going to spend a few minutes here answering some of our listeners' questions, and I know everybody will learn from these um, because they really do kind of run the gamut of different scenarios. So the first question I'm going to bring up came from Catherine, and she says, my daughter, who is seven, struggles with assuming friends who want to play other games or with other people people don't like her and she gets very easily offended or hurt. What language would you use to help her with that, to both acknowledge and empathize with the hurt and the loneliness, but also to push back on the fact that it may not actually be true that they don't like her. They may just want to play something else. This is so common. I wanted to start with this. One I, that I, was my yeah. reaction. Exactly, Sarah. This is so, so common. Yeah. And um, probably Catherine is really bright and has a lot of good ideas and she's just bursting to share those ideas. <laughs> but the problem is you can't join a group by disagreeing. Mm. So what she needs to do is this, this is from research. What they did is they recorded kids on playgrounds to find out how do children join a group. And the answer is they don't call attention to themselves. So we adults tend to say to our kids, why don't you go over to them and ask, can I play? Bad idea, because think about what happens. The other kids have to stop what they're doing, turn around, look at your kid, decide whether they want her to let her pr- play. And this is just too much of an opening for the mischievous kids to say, no, you can't play. Ha, ha, right. ha, ha. So children who are playing together, that is right at their edge of cognitive ability okay. to coordinate their behavior with someone else. So somebody else comes in and says, let's do something completely different. That's not going to go over well because it's like you're blowing my mind here. (laughs) (laughs) So what she needs to do and the sequence that we've learned from research is watch, then blend. Okay. So watch what the kids are doing and then slide into the action without interrupting it. The way I explain this to kids is it's kind of like merging onto a highway. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So think about it. There are two ways to mess up. One is you hang back on the entrance ramp, just watching the cars go, and then you never get where you want to go. And the other way is to kind of barge in without even looking, and then what happens? Well, it's a big crash. So um, she's doing a bit of a big crash there. That that makes sense. And then I would assume that once a child is sort of integrated into a group, then it's a whole different set of questions about how, you know, how kids assert themselves about who wants to play what um, and all of that. But but joining the group is sort of the first step is what you're saying. Exactly. That's exactly right. Interesting. I love it. Um, Okay. well, I'm going to take another question, if that's all right with you. And this came from Lindsay, who has, first of all, two sets of twins. So I think we can acknowledge that that is pretty cool and unique. (laughs) Um, So she asks, any tips for twins and making other friends and friendship dynamics as they get older? She said, my five-year-old twin boys are super friendly, but tend to overwhelm other kids since they're always together. And I would add that not everybody has twins, but I could see how this would be, this could come up with siblings close in age or even cousins pairs or neighbor pairs who sort of operate as a duo and then and then how to diversify and not break it up but just how to keep an eye on that as they get older so I'm sure you've worked with twin families maybe not double twin families (laughs) so in sibling relationships what they're aiming for is what researchers call optimal differentiation which means that they want to be similar enough that they feel a sense of belonging but different enough that they feel a sense of independence and that's kind of a tricky balance you know go and kids will shift in one direction versus another direction at different times or in different situations but we have to allow them the space to do both um, in terms of a kids being overwhelmed get more kids over so they each have to have a buddy yeah so just (laughs) increase the group size then right exactly and that makes it less like two-on-one you know because you've got each each person has a buddy they can form twosomes they can form foursomes um and it, it just makes that a little bit easier um pay attention to what your kids want so in some ages, and you know, as a mom of four, I definitely did. Yeah, we're all doing this. <laughs> it worked for me. Yeah. But as they get older, you might notice that one child has more of a tendency in this way, another one has more of an interest in that way. And we want to listen for that, be aware of that and respect that. So you can still do the group therapy when sure. you need to. Um, but increasingly as they become older you want to give them the opportunity to explore the interests that are just theirs i love that do you do you find that there's an age where with twins or even closely spaced siblings where they just naturally start to really be driven toward their own friendships and relationships or is it just sort of on a continuum and and it gradually happens it's on a continuum. It also depends how temperamentally similar right. the kids are. So, I mean, I've certainly known twins who are happy being in lockstep and, you know, don't want to be separated. And I've known kids who, like, I have nothing in common with that person <laughs> and, and kind of define themselves very differently. Because twins, like any siblings, can, can be very different. Right, right. They look the same. 
That's so fascinating. Um, okay, so next question. Um, this one is more middle school aged, so I'm glad we're going to talk about this. She says, we moved recently, and our 12-year-old has been going to a new middle school for a year. He says he's made friends, but so far has only spent time with one or two friends outside of school. He's our oldest. Is this just a phase when kids don't hang out as much outside of school and do more of that through their phones? I'd love any advice on how to help him develop new friendships while maintaining the ones he moved away from. So I'm glad we're talking about this because we started to kind of go there with the playdate conversation, um, but this maybe will allow us, you to get more specific about this particular 12-year-old. So for most kids, their online lives support and supplement their face-to-face friendships. Okay. They can't, there's just nothing that can replace that face-to-face interaction. Now, coming into middle school, that's hard. That is just a tough developmental stage. Um, So, and this is an age where we can't call up the other mom and arrange a play date. Our kid would be mortified. (laughs) Um, But what we can do is, say, if we're having a family outing, say, why don't you invite somebody to come along while we go to mini golf or bowling or, um, you know, the amusement park, whatever it is that we're we're doing. Um, This is also a really good thing to do with um, tweens and teens, because you get to see their best self when they're around their friends. (laughs) So bringing along a friend is is a really good idea. The other thing you can do is have a family game night. So invite uh, my family did this all the time. Um, we would invite another family over for dessert um, and a game, uh-huh. and we'd play the game. And then I didn't even have to cook a meal, you know, yeah. <laughs> just yes. the dessert. Um, then after the game, we'd have the dessert, and then the kids would go off, and the parents would chat. So this can be kind of a a low key way to to fan the flames on a promising friendship. Yeah, I like that. This, and, yeah, and twelve year olds probably aren't totally ready to do all the social planning themselves. So I like your ideas are sort of baby steps into introducing it to them without putting it all on them right away. The activities at this age are really, really important because that's often a strong part of of kids' sense of identity is, well, I play soccer or I do art. Um, And we know that friendships begin with common ground. Okay. You know, what do you have in common with the other kid? That's the number one predictor of whether kids will become friends is do they have stuff in common? And in fact, there was one very sad study. They were looking at um, chronically friendless children. Isn't that the saddest that is, phrase you've ever That is the saddest phrase <laughs> So, And they define them as kids who didn't make any friends across the whole school year. And this was a study of fifth graders. And what they found was that these chronically friendless kids tended to go after friendships with people who they had nothing in common with. Hmm. So I see this in my practice often. Kids want to be friends with the most popular kid in the class. Right. Well, what do you like to do that he also likes to do? Because right. if the answer is nothing, guess what? You're not going to become friends with them. Right, right. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is that. And again, I think I can see how starting early with some of these skills would be so helpful so that we don't end up with chronically friendless children. Um, Okay, I'm gonna do one more quick listener question. And then I want to talk about a couple more things and your book. But this one, we're going back down to the preschool age. And another one I think a lot of moms can relate to. And so she says, my four year old is in preschool two days a week and is very shy. 
Um, from what he tells me, the kids say he can't be their friend. We've talked, so we talked about that a little bit with the exclusion. But uh, her question is more, should I be worried about this already at this age? And should we be socializing him more, maybe more days a week in preschool? So that's actually the part I'd like you to focus on. We did kind of already touch on this nobody likes me uh, thing that comes home. But how about a preschooler who is socially hesitant and does more preschool or more socialization help? I don't think just a kid who is overwhelmed in the group setting, putting them in the group setting alone more that is not going to really do anything. I think this is the perfect opportunity to get those one-on-one play dates. Yes. So this child will feel less overwhelmed if they just have to coordinate their activities with one kid versus the whole overwhelming noisy group. Right. And this will lead to the more meaningful friendships. Also, it'll make them feel more secure when they go to preschool because then it's not that whole mob. And it's more about, well, I had a play date with John and I had a play date with with Zach and I had a play date with Sarah. So they feel more familiar and more comfortable. Um, This also might be a kid who's walking up and saying, can I play? Mm Mm-hmm. And with preschoolers in particular, it is so hard to coordinate their activity with somebody else and somebody else comes over and interrupts. Oh, my gosh, that is completely blowing their minds. And, you know, trying to coordinate with three people, forget it. (laughs) So so it's not that they're really rejecting um, this child in particular. It's more that um, they just can't handle it. (laughs) Well, and I want to add something that I observed with my first two children in preschool. And that was that I, at least from my perspective, I don't think they really minded not being super socially integrated into their preschool classrooms. They were well-adjusted and happy at school, but they did not make friends. And it took me a while to sort of separate those two things and say, they're coming home happy. They participate when it's circle time. They're not withdrawn in class, but they're not overly social in terms of maybe they wanted to swing by themselves on the playground at break time, or maybe they've preferred to do their work by themselves. Um, but with all under in, with all other indicators pointing to them liking school and being happy, I just finally had to say they might not be it might just be too much to expect that they're going to be overly social in their first year or two of preschool. And so sometimes I think as parents, it helps to separate is my child actually unhappy or it, or am I imposing what I think preschool should be about? Like you need to have a million friends. Does that ring true right. at all for you? Definitely. And it, it relates to what we were talking about earlier, Sarah, about the development of friendship. Right. So that caring and sharing ages, that's eight to 15. Right. So yeah, three-year-olds can't do it. <laughs> yeah. No. And I, and, and now I have, my third child is very, very social and to the point where you know, relationships and relational stuff is like her primary driver for better and for worse. She also gets herself, I mean, more in trouble socially because that's a driver for her, but that's just how she's wired. And my first two were wired such that they didn't care that they didn't have friends. And it took me a while to make it so that I didn't care that they didn't have friends. And we also had kind of a thriving play group and other, other things where they had peers and friends that they could relate to. So I'm not saying they never related to anyone. I'm just saying they went to school and really could care less about most kids in their class for a good year or two of preschool. (laughs) And I'll I'll tell you, honestly, Sarah, when my kids were at that age, um, I knew that they don't have necessarily enduring friendships at that age. So their friends, I decided, were the kids of my friends. Yes, totally. Here's your friend. (laughs) And I remember one time my oldest said to me, I don't like my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then 
maybe maybe now you can make your own. That's really funny. <laughs> um, okay, so gonna I'm just gonna ask one more question, and it's perfect since we're talking about the young ones. Um, for our listeners who maybe even have a two-year-old and a brand new baby who haven't encountered preschool yet, um, what little what little nuggets can we plant for them in starting to instill good friendship skills, or maybe it's just good family values around friendship, um, even at those young ages? Is it play dates? Um, we've talked quite a bit about that. Anything else that you could tell parents before they even get into this school age stuff? Sure. One of the things that we know from research is that when parents talk more about emotion, children become better at understanding other people's perspective. And that is what drives that whole development from the I want it my way stage on through the caring and sharing stage is an increasing ability to genuinely understand someone else's perspective. So, and this starts at the baby age, you know, you know how babies kind of whack you on the face Mm -hmm. and then you take their hand and stroke your cheek gently and say, gentle, that's teaching empathy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everything that we do to help kids understand their own emotions and respond in kind ways to other people, that's terrific. So conflict among siblings, that's perfect. This Mm -hmm. is a learning opportunity and we get lots of it. (laughs) Tons of practice, yep. So you can say things like, um, Sarah is sad because her, um, her block tower got knocked over. What can you do to help her feel better? And we don't have to go into the fact that because you knocked it over. Right, right. <laughs> we want to help them do the kind thing, do the right thing. And then you can say, oh, you made her feel so much better. I love that. I love that. And those, yeah, those are things we can practice from the very beginning and right in our own families. That's so good. We can also show them that we value friendship. And that includes making time to get together with our own friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we're all busy. We've all got too much to do. And it's easy to sort of let the friendships disappear. Mm -hmm. And, And I've seen sometimes, you know, moms with young children who are incredibly busy feel guilty about doing things for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what I always say is that you can't be the kind of mother that you want to be if you're running on empty. Yeah. So figure out what's going to refuel you, whether it's meeting a buddy at a at uh, an exercise class or going out for dinner with a spouse. It's really, really important to show your kids that that social interaction matters. Yes. Um, and even though you're busy, you're going to do it. They'll see also how you treat your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the old saying about they, they learn more from what we do than from what we say. Yeah. Um, whenever I, um, I talk to parents about, well, maybe you can get together with a family game night or have invite another friend, uh, family over. They're like, really? I got to do stuff too? Uh-huh. <laughs> We have to show, (laughs) and I'm sure you have studies showing how much better adults' lives are when we stay connected to our friends. So that should be a no-brainer. It's doing doing good for everybody. That's so true. And it's not selfish. It's it's really taking care of yourself so that you can care for your family. Yes, I love that. Um, Okay, well, let's talk about the book. So when I introduced you before we started talking, I let everybody know you are the co-author of Growing Friendships, A Kid's Guide to Making and Keeping Friends. Um, And this book, my nine-year-old read it and loved it. um, And it is geared toward kids. So tell us about the book and, and what brought you to write a book about friendship, not for parents, but for the kids themselves. 
Well, I've written a bunch of books about um, for parents about mm-hmm. children's feelings and friendships. And every time I gave a talk at a school or a community event, they always said, do you have anything for kids? And so finally, yes, I do. <laughs> um, and this book is for six to 12 year olds, because I think that's really the age that those foundational friendship skills yeah. are made. Not that you can't learn it later, but it sure is easier um, to learn it in the elementary and uh, middle school years. So I've read, as a psychologist, I've read a lot of really horrible social skills books because they're they're preachy and they say, like, be nice, um, or they're not research-based and they're just kind of making stuff up. And so I wanted to address all of that. And Growing Friendships, it has cartoons of very common friendship problems because I didn't want kids to feel like, well, I have to be a misfit to, to yes. read this. Every child struggles socially at some time in some way, and that's what we want wanted to, to make clear that there's no shame in, in trying to figure out this very complicated friendship stuff. You know, even as adults, we continue to learn and in new con- relationships and new contexts. So it has cartoons of common friendship problems. And then the narrator comes in and gives all these research-based tips about, well, here's what's going on and here's what you should do. But my favorite part of the book are these this cat and dog character mm-hmm. that wandered through the text making goofy suggestions like, he should sniff their butts. Yes. So it's Yes, Yes, it's totally silly and completely grabbed um, my daughter's attention. (laughs) And also a really practical tip. So really, because this stuff is, I mean, you and I have been talking psychology and, you know, emotions management, which is a little nebulous, but the book has really very practical suggestions about what kids can do at school when they uh, interact. And I'm so glad you brought up the you don't have to be a misfit, because that is one thing I noticed right away is the book doesn't come across as like, here, you'll, you need this book because you don't have any friends. It's very <laughs> exactly. much a, um, an interesting, like, how to be better at something that's already going on in your life, not like you're going to need to read this. So um, that's, that is definitely how it comes across. And I think, you know, with any of these types of books, I think if we just have them around our house and leave them out and kids wander over, kids at this age love cartoons, love the sort of, you know, the drawing, the illustration aspect. And then there's, and the like humor, you said, a yeah. ton of a ton of great stuff in there. So right. and I also think there's a lot of value to parents and kids reading this book together, because that it can spark important conversations about do you know anybody like that? Or has anything like that ever happened to you? A lot of times kids are kind of overwhelmed by everything that happened and sort of don't know where to begin right. to explain things. But th- this can be a good prompt. Another thing that's really important about the book is it's organized into five main skills, which are reaching out, stepping back, blending in, speaking up, and letting go. And we do this because friendship is never about just doing one thing. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to flexibly adjust our behavior to fit the situation. So sometimes we need to reach out to make friends, but sometimes kids come on a little too strong and they learn, need to learn to step back or mm-hmm. to listen to stop signals. Sometimes it's important to blend in and become part of the team, but sometimes it's important to speak up and say, no, this isn't right for me, or I want to do this. And of course, it's also really important. Nobody's perfect at friendship. Mm-hmm. And so we also have to open our hearts to forgiveness when our friends mess up. Well, and I think that's so great because 
it's easy to see how kids would get mixed messages. You know, you're supposed to be nice to everybody and make friends, but then also you're supposed to stand up for yourself for what you believe. You know, it's easy to see how from a child's perspective, it could get confusing. So I love that you covered all of that. Um, Well, this has been so fantastic and I can't wait for our listeners to hear all of your wonderful information. Can you tell everybody where to find the book and where to find you online if they wanted to read more of your work? Sure. So the book is available wherever books are sold, Growing Friendships, A Kid's Guide to Making and Keeping Friends. I also have a free website for our kids called drfriendtastic.com, um, drfriendtastic.com. And that's kind of a labor of love of mine. It was just a very fun thing. I draw the pictures and, and um, make up the advice because I didn't want to give um, a privacy for uh, a yeah. deal with privacy for, for kids. Um, and I also have my psychology to... Bl- Today blog is called um, growingfriendshipsblog.com, and okay. I have articles for parents there. Yes, and, um, and I, I have, I have a couple books for parents yeah. also. So if you go to eileenkennedymore.com, you can see um, The Unwritten Rules of Friendship, uh, Smart Parenting for Smart Kids, and an audio video series called Raising Emotionally and Socially Healthy Kids from awesome. The Great Course. Well, and our listeners know all of that. I will link at themomhour.com. This is part of our Voices series, and it's episode 18 in our Mom Hour Voices. So our listeners know they can head there. They don't have to remember anything you just said, and I will link to all of that there. So thank you so much, Dr. Eileen, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah. It was fun. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com.